chapter sixteen of transition this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. transition by emma francis brooke chapter sixteen in a broad street of east london stood a small empty shop it consisted of two rooms an outer and an inner the street was a typical one a main channel for the flow of busy anxious life a constant stream of persons pressing westward jostled a constant multitude of passengers pushing in the opposite direction each separate pair of feet each separate heart beating on in an urgent individual effort to shake out of the massed indifference of things some little turn in his own favour two lines of tramways conveyed cars full of persons hither and thither on the same feverish errand at different points in the road stations had been built as exits from railways leading to different points of the compass to and from which shrieking engines conveyed passengers in the same wild hurry-scurry of endeavour the cataract of sound which filled the air the roar of steam and wheeled traffic of feet that came and went of voices that cried aloud and spared not testified to the tremendous pressure of modern life in the individualistic struggle within the district if you pursued the street westward you came to rows of tolerably good houses always interspersed with shops where second-rate goods or even third-rate were displayed the houses were those wherein respectable dullness struggles to maintain gentility by the process of curtailing real life if you pursued it eastward you came to a more densely populated district and to houses from which gentility shrinks but here on the whole the atmosphere was slightly more jovial the depth being reached the fear of toppling over was at least subtracted and with it the dread of detection domestic comedies and tragedies overflowed into the streets and produced for the casual loafer impromptu spectacles and a chance of snatching from such glorious insouciance a brief interest or mirth if you followed some of the streets southwards you came to abodes of the unfashionable rich having escaped both gentility and poverty here you were privileged to breathe the air of conventionality mediocrity rigidity and repletion if from the main street you threaded the ways northwards you came to houses of a smaller and more grinding gentility to sorrowful rows of the doldrums the sight of which prostrated the courage and again to even more congested districts than before where the rollicking drama of the poor shrieked from the windows and tumbled into the road then there was the river that was invisible to the casual visitor so preoccupied were the banks with wharves and warehouses that they could only be reached if a passport of business a hammer 
or an invoice or something of that nature was carried in the hand the strolling passenger was excluded but there nevertheless was the river if it was not to be seen it was to be surmised by the feel of the life that clusters about it by the feel of the flow of it the dark beautiful stealthy flow the burdens upon it borne buoyantly heavy barges boats stealing here and there sullen steamers and the shores black with mud and stained and torn with the deep track of human effort by the dream of the look of the buildings on the sides tossed up without design or symmetry but charged by mere proximity with a touch of romance from that memorial flow between in this district over the empty shop in the main street paul sheridan had displayed his name and the shop itself he had turned into his committee rooms lucilla knew nothing about the matter it was an incident of which all the world was talking but the cloistral habit into which either circumstance forced her or which she voluntarily adopted towards some of the concerns of life excluded her from the common knowledge she habitually skipped election intelligence in the papers no woman desired a vote less or despised election matters more but in the world it was everyday talk that an important parliamentary vacancy having occurred in this particular metropolitan district the seat was being contested at the by-election not by two candidates as is the received order in a world supposed to be divided into two patriotic parties but by three the candidates being mr tootle conservative mr boodle gladstonian liberal and mr paul sheridan socialist it was the introduction of the third man that made the occasion exceptional the political situation was indeed of an interesting and delicate nature the ordinary assumption is that the lucky penny must always be in the right hand or in the left now mr tootle the accepted conservative candidate stood for the right hand and mr boodle conventional liberal stood for the left so far the clan tootle had carried the seat uncontested in the conservative interest from time immemorial and as a wealthy family which punctually collected rents from the large districts of slums in the neighbourhood who could have a better right to represent the inhabitants of those slums in parliament than the present owner of them but at the last general election after careful calculation it was considered in liberal quarters that a very fair chance of wresting the seat from the conservatives had arrived and the liberal caucus having put their heads together in deliberation mr boodle was accepted as a promising candidate in addition to mr boodle's being an ardent worshipper of mr gladstone and an impassioned home ruler he had vested local interests in the neighbourhood in the form of immense business connections and a big clientele of employés 
what more fitting than that mr bootle should represent in parliament the large number of persons to whom he habitually paid wages on the handsome scale of five pence an hour that had been the situation at the last general election mr bootle had failed but the conservative majority was so narrow that the wisdom of a liberal attack upon the seat was considered proven upon a vacancy occurring now a representative of the clan tootle immediately presented himself and was duly accepted by his party the expectant mr bootle also again came promptly forward here however a hitch occurred things had gone forward since the general election the socialist spur had pushed on the liberal horse and waked up the liberal intelligence one degree so that in liberal quarters mr bootle who consistently stood on his foregone conclusions was shyly glanced at as possibly not the man for the moment likely to enhance the liberal cause of course the official liberal fervently wished that things were ambling on as slowly and comfortably as before and that such a man as mr bootle was the square man for the square whole but there was no use any longer in concealing the fact that he was not if the seat was to be successfully contested it was plain that a stronger man with straighter knees and with a habit of hitting out from the shoulder was wanted to do it moreover in the locality itself mr bootle was by no means received with flattering rapture at the moment when the liberal officials were thus perplexed between facts as they were and facts as they wished them to be and while they were looking round anxiously for a safe man who would appear sufficiently spirited while never breaking the check of the liberal chain mr paul sheridan stepped quietly to the front and announced his intention of contesting the seat upon the invitation of the trades council the socialist organizations the radical clubs of the place the local trade unions and in short of every really advanced progressive of the district the announcement at the best could but be a very mixed joy to the official liberals it was impossible not to acknowledge that sheridan who was everywhere recognized as one of the ablest and most rising men in london was eminently fitted for the task he had undertaken but it was also impossible even to the liberal imagination to screw sheridan down to the dimensions of an official liberal programme he was a man look at him how you would who insisted upon using his abilities in his own way and not according to lead and pattern certainly he was sound enough on home rule he would vote straight enough there but for the rest his career was lurid and meteoric to the liberal eye and who could definitely say what were the contents of the tale to this comet the liberal officials took refuge in neutrality paul who knew very well that he could afford to dispense with their open patronage and who very much preferred being without it took the least possible notice of these conscientious doubters 
he had seen his opportunity and had gone forward at it with his usual energetic swing and he was now taking vigorous pains to bring the matter through without stopping to guess whether the fruition would fall to him or not to the clan tootle it was almost as though he had intruded himself into a family party and was insisting upon taking the head of the table while by mr bootle who had naturally declined to withdraw and by his cherished adherents mr sheridan was regarded as not only a mischievous and unpatriotic political adventurer but as a political absurdity you can't do it you know said mr bootle in general reference to mr sheridan's ideas it's impossible besides which it's iniquitous in the constituency for the first time within the memory of man however the introduction of the personality of sheridan into the election awakened a deep movement of interest this was pre-eminently the case amongst the large working population whose lethargy hitherto had been the despair of mr bootle the situation was interesting and novel enough and excited sufficient attention to draw a cartoon from punch to itself the leading picture of the week represented two large and ancient house dogs labelled respectively conservative and liberal looking down in majestic astonishment and contempt at a third little dog who with truculent tail stiffly upraised furiously barked in the centre the cartoon was entitled the rise of the third party meanwhile as the talk went on sheridan prepared for the fight the empty shop in the main street suddenly became a scene of busy life and broke out on the exterior into an efflorescence of inscriptions and anything that could catch the eye and convey it to a point whereon the name of sheridan was blazoned sheridan's colour was red and throughout the district was a pleasing dash of that staunch hue distributed on street boardings and bare walls the placards briefly recommended the populace to vote for sheridan also in the windows were portraits of himself done on cards in a red smudge representing a fine head and striking profile sheridan walking down any street might encounter evidences of himself from any pane and at any corner on the other hand mr tootle's colour was blue and close upon sheridan's red dashed a blue smudge recommending the populace in prominent letters to vote for tootle then mr bootle's tint was yellow and close on the track of the blue and the red came a yellow admonition to vote for bootle the streets indeed became a silent tussle of competing colour which it was a joy to the passer-by to behold and which was incidentally a great enlivener of the constitutional dullness of the neighbourhood nor was sheridan's portrait permitted to look out from the windows in isolated impudence mr tootle condescended to display a roman nose and precipitous back head to the riff-raff of the place mr bootle following suit had his bald head and nougat fringe elaborated in black lines with yellow fixings 
some of the smaller and less reputable windows delighted at the unexpected possession of so much art displayed all three heads impartially in a row upon the panes then there were the programmes it was these brief breathings of aspiration which caused the boardings and bare stones of the districts to start suddenly into political gabble every archway and silent corner dangled a promise like pious jews with their phylacteries the houses bound the utterances of mr sheridan mr tootle and mr boodle about their foreheads and upon the skirtings of the roads mr tootle's and mr boodle's programmes sometimes jostled each other inconveniently this was the fault of a simple old bill-sticker named dan connolly who moved into the midst of the election fray like an antiquated child in the hope of turning an honest penny and offered his services to both candidates alike dan connolly knew nothing and cared nothing about elections he himself did not possess a vote his importance to the state had not risen to such a point as that all that he was aware of was that bills were required to be stuck and that suddenly his services were in unusual request it was indeed to him a golden opportunity in these days of universal schooling dan had cleverly avoided learning to read and was therefore incapable of perusing the programmes but he knew when the letters were right side up and he had a wonderfully accurate eye otherwise he distinguished between mr tootle and mr boodle simply by colour and the locality of the committee rooms dan connolly's code of morality began and ended in a rigid sense of honesty he knew of nothing more when therefore he found himself engaged on a bill-sticking job both by the blue gentleman and the yellow one he registered a vow in his simple old heart to deal fairly by both tootle should have his sixpenn'orth of bill-sticking in the exact same measure as boodle and no more while the election controversy raged around and passions rose and words flew one heart stood quiet singly and alone the heart was that of the bill-sticker he kept his eye single indeed his sole preoccupation being his bills to lay them straight to stick them fast and above all to give each colour its due in off hours when he was not sticking them on he prowled round with just pride in his work to admire it and to watch over it it was a shock to him to discover that for some unknown reason malicious persons had a spite against his bills every now and then he found his handiwork destroyed once he came across a group of men tearing down a yellow placard before the paste was dry the sight threw him into an extreme agitation the rending of the new and beautiful bill pierced his heart even to tears it happened again and again each time that it happened he hurried to the committee rooms and burst in upon the agent with a plaintive and tremulous cry sir he would exclaim they are tearing down my bills my bills sir they are tearing them down dan's equitable disposition in regard to his employers bore a fruit too obvious however to be to the mind of either it is not 
always rigid justice that we desire in others treatment of ourselves neither is the motive by any means always a measure of the effect one morning after an extreme early activity on the part of the bill sticker in the main road an extraordinary effect met the eyes of mr bootle as he stepped from the train he perceived his own yellow programme hanging before him with the stultifying blue promises of mr tootle neatly attached in twin-like amity to its side going on further he remarked another of his placards jocosely poking mr tootle's as it were in the ribs in fact wherever he turned he perceived the same phenomenon his own programme friendlily winking the eye and shaking hands with that of his rival vote for boodle liberal candidate home rule for ireland peasant proprietorship reform of land laws shorter hours for miners non-aggressive foreign policy social and industrial reform leasehold enfranchisement better housing of the poor vote for boodle and healthy homes happy hearts better living brighter lives vote for tootle conservative candidate one queen one parliament small holdings and allotments easy transfer of landed property shorter working day for railway arbitration rather than war men promotion of home trade reduction of income tax reform of poor law administration vote for tootle and reduce taxation unbroken peace untarnished honour social reform the first pair of amicable bills with their beautiful yellow and blue effect merely irritated mr bootle the second pair startled him the third frightened him the fourth brought home to him a painful conviction the fifth threw him into a fury and sent him in a purple condition of rage at a pace quite inconsistent with dignity on a warm august morning along the street in the direction of his committee rooms whence five minutes afterwards issued his agent pale in a hurry and with murder in his eye it happened that morning that littleton came into the district to assist sheridan in his work and the sight of the blue and yellow programme startled him into the belief that mr tootle and mr bootle had made open cause against their common foe pausing under one pair of placards he found himself in company with two coal-porters and a dock labourer there they stood with their heavy patient figures motionless their tools shouldered their trousers hitched up with string the slow and shrewd faces being deeply and silently intent upon the bills which presumably they read from beginning to end without missing a syllable after the long staring silence they turned stolidly away not a dam to choose atwixt em as i can see bill not a dam sheridan's task was to persuade different portions of the constituency into supporting as much of the collectivist idea as had so far been worked into practical legislative proposals the voice that spoke in the hall near the riverside had to be a different one from the voice that spoke to the select gatherings in the rich quarter of the south also he had to attune himself to different congregations as well as to different classes for the hue of the religion passes into the political conviction 
it was every variety and specimen of heart and head which he had got to catch by his idea for sheridan stood for an idea to prevent the least doubt and mistake about it he had published beforehand a small book entitled the parliamentary programme of social reform this bound in a red cover was sold at a trifling sum from his office now mr tootle and mr bootle had not hedged their political conscience round with a printed book they were too wise to venture on such a record and when they discovered that the aspiration of job as to his enemy was fulfilled in their instance both alike rejoiced it furnished occasion to both when upon the platform they were gravelled for lack of matter and out from the pocket of either conservative or liberal candidate would whip the pernicious red flag as it was popularly called of the firebrand sheridan and marked passages of an uncompromising nature would be perused in agitated tones to an audience who listened with bated breath mr tootle had discovered that it was impractical nowadays to attempt to hold the attention of an audience on the union alone particularly in that district it became a somewhat somnolent gathering after half an hour's twittering on the subject and it was imperatively necessary to add other matter rally round lord salisbury's banner he cried to the jaded open-mouthed faces that stared stolidly up to him i confidently claim your support for lord salisbury's government in my person has it not upheld a firm foreign policy and thereby made employment more general and more profitable it has cheapened the necessaries of life and has promoted legislation that tends to improve the conditions under which the working classes have to live and labour if lord salisbury's government remains in office there is every assurance that a bill for the restriction and regulation of alien immigration will be brought in and passed lord salisbury has his eye upon this source of straitened circumstance it is a manifest injustice that the alien pauper the foreign jew should be landed in shoals upon our shores and should overrun the field of employment it is a manifest injustice and crescendo the conservative rulers of this land will not permit it uproar voice of huge docker excitedly i say old chappie we ain't got no manner of grudge agin them little fern devils it warn't no jews as tried to steal the docker's tanner from him and it warn't no jews as come and tried to play blackleg i'm not afeard of a fern jew not i let him come and welcome cheers mr bootle apprehensive that a perpetual seesaw on home rule was beginning to have a soporific tendency even when interspersed with music and a hymn in praise of mr gladstone struggled hard to introduce new matter into his speeches without suggesting anything so dangerously self-committing as genuine reform his task of looking progressive whilst shunning progress was indeed a slippery one a moment after promising a general alleviation of conditions he would stumble on a particular admonition to thrift while impressing upon his audience the necessity of the awakening of labour to its electoral duties he fell into an admission that he was totally opposed to payment of members and close upon glorifying the dignity and greatness of the liberal party he inadvertently mentioned that he was in favour of only just that niggard measure of reform as was necessary to bring his side again into office 
finally he would beat a retreat into safe and meaningless generalities and drop breathless to the haven of home rule if you honour me with your confidence he explained i will give my loyal support to all liberal measures which may be brought forward and if other constituencies will follow your example these liberal measures whatever they are will speedily be passed into law there is one matter which is at the moment engaging my serious attention and that is the importation of foreign cattle this is a practice which is stealing upon us unobserved for the most part but yet upon which a vigilant eye is fixed you are throwing gentlemen meat and hides upon a market already overstocked and the result is to eat up our profits to eat up our profits gentlemen now let me touch for a moment upon a very alarming topic we have in our midst unscrupulous agitators who try to lead away the people with vain imaginings and pernicious doctrine let me tell you gentlemen that iniquitous proposals against the rights of capital simply result in driving capital out of the country while rashly to extend as proposed the provisions of the factory acts is merely to eat up the narrow subsistence of the poor widow and to sacrifice this object of our universal commiseration to the ambition of vain schemers in conclusion i give you i repeat my promise of a general support to the liberal programme and to our great leader mr gladstone whose magnificent object is to make ireland permanently contented and loyal to audiences languishing under oratory such as the above the resource of abusing the firebrand sheridan and the production of the red flag of revolution from the pocket was invariably productive of an agreeable sensation why said sheridan to his agent when he heard of the practice his eyes shining and his whole face laughing of course this accounts for the large number of persons who have called at the office lately to buy the book the book had twelve chapters each one expounding twelve heads of sheridan's programme in sheridan's clear-witted style the rage it excited testified to its freshness and force to further the propaganda of his idea he had twelve leaflets which were in effect short abstracts of the twelve chapters printed for free distribution the twelve heads of his programme were home rule for london payment of members and election expenses and adult suffrage triennial parliaments a legal eight hours day a graduated income tax and death duties untaxed breakfast table universal old age pensions union wages in government departments public control of secondary schools taxation of ground values extension of the factory and sanitary acts municipal ownership of urban soil and public administration of all monopolies land mines railways etc etc the leaflets were distributed broadcast together with sheridan's portrait and election card by friendly comrades who came into the district to assist in the cause while not neglecting the rich and genteel quarters the comrades especially haunted congested places and stirred up the workers to their opportunity the iniquity of it when it came to his own particular clientele caused mr bootle to stamp round his committee-room in agitation 
what business have these people in the district at all i wish to inquire he put it to his sympathizing agent there are trucks full of em sir replied the latter i see em every day canvassin workin rootin up and down and givin away piles of leaflets where on earth he gets his friends from i can't say sir he's in the tory pay cried mr bootle who did not in the least believe his own words depend upon it smithers he's in the tory pay this sort of thing costs money well sir we must pluck up heart he hasn't given away the seat to the conservative party yet mr tootle's agent was at a similar loss i should like to mention sir that we must rub up our forces a bit the socialist candidate is showing a good deal of resource i've never called at a single house yet but that mr sheridan hasn't been before me and his red envelope didn't fly at me from the doorstep i meet them walking in every street with a pile of papers under their arms especially females sir especially females mr tootle extended his eyeglass judicially and accentuated his remarks by moving it up and down i am wholly against the interference of women in these masculine transactions home mr topkinson is the place for woman at the same time we might endeavour to requisition the aid of some of the primrose dames from another point of view we must remember that mr sheridan's activity is in our favour as against mr bootle certainly sir paul knew how to keep his office in order and to prevent waste both of time and energy he placed one or two competent persons at the head of affairs and gave them clear directions as to what had to be done then he flung himself with fine trust on the devotion of his friends on his own energy and above all on the freshness and vitality of his programme one evening in company with littleton and his agent he set out for the hall near the riverside where he expected to address an audience of working men the narrow street where the hall was situated was crowded with folk on the alert for a taste of excitement a thrill from a greater life enlivened the strict monotony of daily existence a momentary sense of participation with high matters this stir in the air quickened the depressed spirit and sluggish blood to something beyond itself moreover it was the turn for the populace to catechise the boss on such occasions as these it was permissible and safe to permit the critical humours to overflow irreverently towards the higher orders again a row royal was possible and even probable the street gay with flecks of light from open shop doors and windows and full of groups of talkers was a great occasion for the loosing of tongues in argument unusual mirth broke the air up in circles of chat and laughter it was a parliament of the pavement wherein the respective merits of gladstone and salisbury were freely enough handled and the law on every conceivable topic irresponsibly but often very shrewdly laid down it gave a particular zest to the occasion to know that the election was being anxiously watched gladstone and salisbury as it were touting for each individual vote that added spice to existence to taste even for one moment the value of one's own power of choice what about this chap sheridan that's a rattling good programme of his well we wanted livening up to my mind it'll put bootle's nose a bit out of joint in my opinion it's more quantity than quality with bootle 
well come on mates let's get in at the back and hear what paul's got to say for himself oh we've all heard paul one time or another they've got it out of the bible or somewhere that the love of money is the root of all evil but paul's one of them as knows that the want of it is the whole bloomin tree there's a lot in that i'm of his mind boodle's fellows are coming down to hoot him they say well boodle's got the root in him if he ain't got nothing else i'll come on and back paul for one i'm ready enough to lend a uh, and at chucking boodle i was at tootle's last night it's best to ear all sides lor ye never ear such a thing he done know where ye are don't tootle he rambled till folks were three parts mad bloomin old chap you'll never get to the end unless we stirs him up says a bloke to me and then he done it he up and shouted i say old gentleman when's the balloon goin hup old gentleman he says when's the balloon goin hup sheridan at the moment was detained in the road in conversation with a couple of labour leaders who had come down to speak for him the roll of a hansom along the street caused him to hurry forward that was a member of parliament who was anxious to avoid the return of mr boodle and who was to take the chair on the occasion when paul stepped on to the platform and faced that great audience of genuine workers of dock labourers stevedores watermen engineers firemen and sailors navies coal porters and all the kindred trades that audience of marred and patient faces as of men inured to endurance in the great struggle and toil of the worker's life a deep emotion rose within him he looked at them straight with his eyes from the soul and something seemed to snatch at the hearts of them for they gave a great shout and clapping of hands and a ringing cheer he stood to them for hope he and his idea it was easy for sheridan to address an audience like this for he was attuned with them in every fibre of his being long ago he had recognised that great need and sorrow and patient long deferred expectation as his work in life and he had never forgotten he stood for it now and he knew it the next evening was not so easy a dissenting minister with a heart wavering between boodle and paul had consented to lend the lecture-room attached to his chapel for a meeting and further had promised to preside in person the audience was small chill select littleton occupied a front row in isolation when paul appeared on the platform he was preceded and followed by a row of eminently serious persons who represented the deacons of the church and the proceedings to the extreme alarm both of the candidate and his friend were opened by prayer that went far towards dashing the resources of paul his humour and modesty were alike tickled at this over-solemnity at his pretensions it was enough to have stolen the whip from his tongue and to have frustrated his eloquence but he found himself again and fought through the distasteful moment on an admirable and well-planned speech dealing with facts and statistics for the life of me said paul when he and littleton had escaped from the solemn atmosphere and were tasting the relief of laughter i could think of nothing that would follow appropriately on prayer except figures next evening it was again an audience of well-to-do persons in the rich district that were to be addressed 
paul professed himself plunged in despondency beforehand i've reached my highest scream already said he to littleton and i'm not at all sure that there's anything further to come the platform was to be filled with well-known metropolitan gentlemen who had taken up sheridan's cause partly in genuine sympathy with him and with the need of the district partly because they had but a limited intelligence of the scope of his idea sheridan's printed programme was suspected by one or two wary and perspicacious souls to be a mere thin edge of a wedge the occasion was not one for enthusiasm but for an illuminated reasonableness if such might be come at and the result though paul had expressed himself exhausted and run out beforehand was a display of native sagacity which if it did not win wholesale converts to his idea at least impressed every one with the conviction that here was a man who possessed a genuine programme and who could be relied on to push it nothing is so strong so effective as a man who can keep his idea intact and yet knows how to draw men's hearts with the right cords towards it we must take the town hall for a man like that said a leading citizen as the audience trooped out we must not waste such a speaker on small audiences i am not prepared to say whether i agree with him or not but he ought to be heard he is a profound and very sincere thinker and a very fine head too a very fine head sheridan and littleton drove to the station tired out evening after evening shall we win have we a chance was littleton's constant inquiry i don't know whether i shall win now but i haven't a shadow of doubt that the collectivist idea is winning all along the line was sheridan's reply the grand meeting at the town hall in his favour was eventually arranged and was successfully carried out the place being three parts full of that rougher audience whose presence warmed sheridan's heart and loosened his tongue that was the final occasion of his oratorical efforts these occasions were not altogether to the taste of paul the toil of committee work the necessary dry labour of the collection and tabulation of facts were more satisfactory to him he regarded necessary speech-making as a useful opportunity for the spread of the collectivist idea but it was more to his mind to be laboriously working out some one detail of that idea for with all his deep invincible faith in collectivism as conveying within itself the only realizable hope for the race and with all his swiftness in perceiving the next near phase which social progress was likely to put on he had no clear feeling of prevision as to the ultimate form that progress might assume on the contrary his heart was often overweighted with a sense of blindness in the face of the enormous complexity of the social problem the more he worked at reform the more inadequate did the sum of knowledge of the social structure seem to him and sometimes his passionate yearning was rather to know than to act failing such infallible knowledge he considered the yearning as something to be subdued to the main duty of activity in helping the general need by what ready light existed but it left him with an inclination towards hard dry toil over detail than towards impassioned speech-making and when he made his speech it turned as much as possible on facts few took so conscious a measure both of the work and of the limitation of human capacity in reforming society 
as did sheridan at the little office in the main street during the last days the work went fast and furious not only comrades but people of the district streamed in to offer their services pens and ink ran out blotting-paper became scarce cases of paper envelopes and cards were emptied as soon as delivered and the indefatigable canvassers directed from the office pervaded every corner of the district on the polling day each one knew what his job was and each one set his teeth into it and held on mirth good-humour and to spare prevailed but there was no confusion in and out of the place men came and went came and went messengers issued from it bound on definite errands and messengers returned with them fulfilled to take up the next meanwhile littleton had brought over a borrowed dog-cart and was driving sheridan the red colours attached to the turnout round the district on the track of sheridan boodle flashed in a yellow streak after him came tootle in blue and a carriage and pair taking off his hat and smiling at the family constituency by eventide the space in front of the little shop was constantly occupied by an approaching or departing carriage some one who had borne a batch of voters to the poll to record their votes was calling to receive new orders and would immediately roll off again on a fresh errand in the inner room the work of directing the messengers was fast and furious towards eight it flagged then everybody suddenly relaxed their efforts and drew breath sheridan was informed that not a voter remained on the carefully prepared lists who had not been looked after or carried to the poll littleton accompanied sheridan to the town hall to await the result mr bootle and mr tootle were there before him and neither turned round or took any notice when the socialist candidate entered the work of the scrutineers went on silently and fast within and the candidates waited in suspense in the open air a crowd was rapidly gathering a never-ceasing stream of people pressing on into the street towards eleven the road was impassable being filled by a closely packed concourse of persons at eleven a signal was given and a long low murmur of excitement and suspense thrilled over the crowd a tremor of sound accompanied by a rocking to and fro then from a window stepped out upon the balcony the returning officer closely followed by one of the candidates the other two appearing more slowly the result of the election was read out amidst the silence of the crowd sheridan two thousand nine hundred and ninety seven tootle two thousand eight hundred and sixty three boodle two thousand one hundred and forty five upon that rose from the rough throats of the riverside populace such a roar as had never rent the air of that district before it was a mighty sound of unanimous accord and gladness for sheridan the man of the people had won he stepped forward upon the balcony and stood there above the crowd for a moment his face pale an extraordinary surprise and emotion in his eyes his appearance was greeted by accelerated clamour the faces of the people flashed to him through the indistinct light rough animated every eye upon him every lip applauding and every horny hand uplifted with a cap his success was so brilliant so strange cannily fought for yet so unexpected his heart tightened and leaped in his breast 
and his breath came sharp through his teeth he stared at them silently for a moment then he steadied himself and found his voice he threw it towards the mass of men who had chosen him to represent them to those rough fellows who had found in him something that fitted themselves and he told them with brief restrained energy that he thanked them for their confidence that he understood the pledge he was under and that it was his heartfelt intention to fulfil it it was not easy for sheridan to escape whole in limb from the ardours of the crowd but littleton and other comrades had provided for the contingency of a rough demonstration being made in his favour and a cab was at hand into which he was hurried the driver being directed to go straight off to the station down the streets after him tore the hallooing crowd the roads viewed from the windows became as a wild phantasmagoria of hurrying figures a tumult of sound shook the air the night was full of cries and of the steps of a great populace running hither and thither in a storm of excitement so that sleepers awakened from rest rose elbow high to smile and listen as the name of sheridan leaped out on the darkness at each new wave of uproar arrived at the station breathless exhausted and laughing sheridan stepped from the cab and under guard from his friends ran for the covered steps to elude the attentions of his admirers as he made a dart forwards a mesmeric something drew his eyes in the direction away from the coming crowd he caught sight of a tall motionless figure standing in the centre of the pavement fancying that he recognised a friend he turned his joyous face full towards him he met from the eyes a cold and icy shaft of scorn and from the lips a bitter smile of derision and hate which even at that warm glad moment startled him then the man raised his hat and turned on his heel that was d'auvernay said paul to himself as he ran down the steps to judge from his appearance the anarchists are making small progress in england after all it was a hard blow both for tootle and for boodle and it was enough of a surprise to cause some talk in both conservative and liberal circles the lucky penny had not passed either to right or to left it was going away in the pocket of a third party after all the ruling of providence wrote mr boodle to mrs boodle next day has indeed been in this instance an inscrutable one you would learn from my telegram that the socialist sheridan is returned by a considerable majority over the heads of the more legitimate candidates undoubtedly had not this firebrand intervened the seat would have been won by me we must endeavour to establish ourselves upon a hope that this event may not prove calamitous to the country End of chapter sixteen